now turn to our text, which comes from 1 Peter 4, 7, and I'm actually going to read to verse all the way to the end of verse 19, but our focus will be on verse 8. 1 Peter 4, the end of all things as at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it, is time for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And our focus today will be on verse 8, above all Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Beloved in the Lord, the cross changed everything. The world had to be realigned to the new reality that Christ is reigning. And that's what Peter means when he says the end of all things is at hand. The old world, the old reality of the temple world is about to die, and the kingdom of Christ is about to be inaugurated. Jerusalem will be destroyed, and the bride will be revealed. We cannot say exactly what is happening in today's events, Yet as the Lord sends trouble on his church, God calls us to the same love in our lives toward one another. God reminds us that our inheritance is not in this world, but our inheritance is Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God. In our approach to that trouble and any future the Lord brings, let us remember to love one another earnestly. Love one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. First, I want to touch on recalibrating our attitude toward one another. Second, avoiding pettiness in that. And third, Seeking reconciliation. 
So these are the three ways, and they're definitely not exhaustive, in which we love one another earnestly. Other than the fear of God, my next highest duty is love for my brother. I think we saw that in, in, in 1 John. If you love God, you will love your brother. It's interesting here that Peter doesn't focus on financial investments or storing up goods or any of the many ways we might prepare for an uncertain future. Instead, he focuses on relationships. Do you love your brother? Are you patient with him? Are you kind? Love one another earnestly. Our greatest investment in the future, other than our relationship with God, is our relationship with one another. Think about your immediate neighbors, the people who live next to you. Do you want neighbors who are for you or are against you? The answer is obvious, all things being equal. I want neighbors who will help me out in the time of need. But what about my fellow brothers and sisters in the church? Am I wise in my dealings with them? Or do I unnecessarily start conflicts over minor issues? The respect and the love that we have among one another, that is our strength for the future. This isn't some cold calculation for the future, though. We'll often hear in sermons that love is not primarily a feeling, but a duty. While true, the two are not opposed to one another. The Spirit works in my heart so that I desire and desire earnestly to exercise that love for my brother and sister. What's the primary expression of that love toward one another? Hospitality. And that's Peter's immediate application in verse 9. That's why it's so important to recognize that love is not merely a feeling. Love is a duty. One of the marks of an elder in the scriptures is that he demonstrates hospitality. Think about this for a moment, how hospitality demonstrates love. God shows us, in a very physical way, God shows us hospitality at his table, the Lord's table. The love that Christ demonstrated on the cross is shared with all who believe, so much so that they have the privilege of sharing in all of Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness. That table is to be replicated in the households of the congregation, demonstrating that we too show Christ's love to one another and to our neighbors. Why bring up hospitality now as we enter four weeks of quarantine? While it's true that regular, the regular coming and going of friends and family is currently brought to a, a standstill, pastoral care is still encouraged, taking thing, other things into consideration as well. Now, you are not pastors, or not all pastors, Yet we all share in the priestly calling toward one another. If you know someone who is lonely, anxious, on, on the edge of substance abuse, use this time to reach out to them. This is how we can show 
we can even now continue to show hospitality. These events also force us to examine our own lives. Is, is our love sincere and earnest? Were we prepared for what happened this year? Will we be prepared for God's work in the coming years? Of course, we can never be fully prepared because we don't know the future. But if we are living according to the calling, the call of Peter to love one another earnestly, that prepares us as a body, as a community to receive what God puts in our path, whatever trials God puts in our path. Show hospitality toward one another without grumbling. The important point is show hospitality. And as you show hospitality, learn to do it without grumbling. Sometimes we think that we will like to show that we like to show we will show hospitality when we're ready for it. That's not really how God works. God wants us to start practicing now with earnestness. What if I don't feel it? The call here is to love one another earnestly. That means with sincerity. This is more than just doing a deed, but it comes with a desire for the good of your neighbor. So what if I did, don't feel it? And naturally, we don't feel it. First, it simply takes practice. You don't begin to learn to play music or speak French by thinking about it. Our natural selves, we're told in the catechism, hate God in our neighbor. That means it takes practice to overcome that old man in our relationships with one another. But even more important it's, is to seek God in this. John tells us, if you love God, you will love your brother. If you seek God in prayer, if you, if you seek to walk before him in righteousness, that love will spring up from that relationship with God. And in that, pray for your brother. We're not necessarily going to like or get along with everybody we go to church with. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we automatically connect, especially as over time we come to realize one another's faults. If we, even if we didn't have our own sin to deal with, I imagine we still wouldn't connect with everybody. We're still flesh. Praying for one another, especially people we don't necessarily get along with, can reorient our hearts toward love of one another. This is where the second phrase comes into place. Since love, love one another earnestly. And the primary expression that Peter highlights of that love is hospitality. So love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. The phrase comes from Proverbs 10 verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. That's why the call for unity and peace cannot work in the long term apart from the scriptures. If, as we confess, apart from the Spirit of God, we naturally hate God in our neighbor, we will not be surprised that there's constant strife among the people and the groups of people in the world around us. It's, it's not that the unregenerate cannot work together, but when times are hard, the pressure breaks people apart unfortunately also often breaks 
Christians apart. But it's even harder on those who do not share the bond of the love of the Spirit. Our unregenerate, our old selves, our our fault finders. We begin by searching the faults in one another that we can exploit. It's interesting that even, even even when you go to jail, people who are in jail are very good at knowing where they're righteous ranking order is. They know that they're better than that person in the cell over there. And that makes them, sitting in jail, feel self-righteous. And if you think about it, we're doing the same thing a lot of the time. Even if we don't consciously do that, we might have a more relaxed or non-confrontational personality. We still like to find fault with the other person and not ourselves when we're pushed into a difficult situation with them. Our constant temptation is to use our brother's weaknesses against them. Even if we don't intend to stir up strife, we do because we care a lot more about myself than other people. What we need to constantly do is recalibrate our view of our brother. Just as I have received forgiveness of sins from God, just as I am permitted to come before God's throne with boldness, so my brother has the same privileges. Think about the doctrine of justification. It's a comfort to me that I am righteous and free before God. But it also tells me something about my brother. He too is counted as a son of God and shares in the anointing of Jesus. And yes, he might even have a visible struggle with drink or anger or something else, but I still owe him love. As Paul says in Romans 13, owe nothing to anyone but to love one another. When we have that type of love, the little things, the character differences, the differences of mere opinion should not cause dissension and strife. We can think of how parents will overlook the faults of their children. Everybody can see that Johnny is a bit of a butt, but mom and dad seem not to see it. Now, we don't want to go necessarily to that extent. We still want to speak the truth about one another. However, for a a good part of the time, we can go a good deal further in overlooking one another's faults. And realize that this goes two ways. My love for my brothers allows me to overlook some of their weaknesses and to be patient with their faults. But when I show love to other people through kind words, through hospitality, my, my sins, my faults become less annoying to others. You can see how that strengthens you in your position for the future. You might be a bit of a crank, But when people remember the rides you gave out, they see something more. You might have a sharp tongue, but when people remember the meals you prepared, they see something more. And this way you invest in the future through relationships. And that brings us to our next point, avoiding pettiness. There is, of course... 
again, in love, a time in the Christian life in which we are called to confront one another and point out sins in one another? How do we distinguish between proper confrontation and fault-finding? Clearly, the Scripture encourages us to love one another in a way that refuses to seek out and challenge every sin in the other person's life. The Scripture also encourages us to exhort one another and encourage one another in gospel life. So both of those things are encouraged in the, in the Scripture. Probably more on the other side because we do need to call out sin in each other's lives. There's no simple answer to this question and ultimately while we, we can give some guidance you have to work through the Spirit and through your experiences to grow in the way you interact with, challenge, and encourage one another. And I have three principles that may help. First of all, don't be petty. Don't be small-minded or small-hearted. So many quarrels start over small things. Somebody ignored my need. If you feel somebody snubbed you, give it a day or two. And if you're going to let it go, make sure you don't hold on to it. Petty things can build up over time and create division. That's how divorce happens so often. How do you avoid that? Cultivate the love of the Spirit. Show hospitality without grumbling. Practice those things against which there is no law. Love, joy, peace patience, and so on. The best weapon against small-mindedness is to be filled with the Scripture. The Bible gives us the big picture, the big story. We see how sinful man is, how sinful I am, and how holy God is. We see the love that God demonstrated in His Son. The Son of God took on flesh and died for us. That's an indescribable and unending gift to me. Look at the good things that God has provided for me. God gives me everything I have, my body, my family, my friends, my house, and my finances. He's so good to me. If I approach life with thanksgiving, recognizing that everything I have is from God, I can see that I can freely choose to leave that particular insult to myself behind me. Remember that God forgives sins that I don't know about, so I can forgive sins from someone else that they don't know, know about. If I do recognize a character flaw that is truly a flaw, I can gently correct, even in wordless ways, through my love for that person. And as I grow in my relationship with that person, I may have better opportunities to encourage that person in addressing his or her character flaw. That person now knows my love for them and has the trust to hear me when I address them. Another important part here is to be very careful to speak the truth as much as possible. It's very easy to psychoanalyze other people. We love to do it. It's much more pleasant than psychoanalyzing ourselves. It's part of that fault-finding in the, in the, from the first point. 
Let's be very careful about imagining that we have the insight into the inner life of another person, especially when we don't spend a lot of time with that person. You are doing this for this and this reason is not a good approach for creating a relationship with someone. It's not a good approach for calling out someone for doing something wrong. Focus on what you can know, and as you grow in relationship with one another, then you can address heart issues more and more. Focus, too, on the truth about yourself. Learn your weaknesses, your failures, and learn how to see how those particular weaknesses might cause you to view someone else negatively who doesn't particularly deserve it. This is important, too, as we as we argue amongst ourselves among, uh, on the best approach to COVID-19 and various regulations at this time. Focus on what you can know. There are a lot of lies out there. There's a lot of reason to mistrust people, even one another. Focus on what you can be certain of. Don't dismiss those who disagree with you, but be careful always to discern the truth. Honesty comes out of that love of one another. Finally, watch out for the desire for domination. That comes from Augustine, the libido dominandi, desire for domination. Augustine argued that this is one of the prevailing sins in our hearts. And Jesus seems to agree in Mark 14, 42. And Jesus called them, his disciples, and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must first be a servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Basically, we want to control one another. It's a way, even we might say it's a way of controlling the future. We can seek to control one another under the guise of caring for one another and loving one another. I'm doing this because I love you can be an excuse for exercising domination. Because of the influence of Christianity, we've grown very good at this type of thing in our society. The process of calling out one another for sin can be used to control one another. We can see this in the political world in the, in the way demands for apologies are used to control different groups. The whole woke culture, if you're aware of that, is a twisting of the Christian teaching on charity, on reconciliation, using their victim status to have power over other groups in society. We can easily do this in the church as well. The Matthew 18 principle can quickly become a bit of a game. Yes, I'll apologize to you, but you need to apologize to me for this, this, and this. We realize that apologizing to one another can give the other person control over us, so we demand some control over them as well. As usual, this can be seen most clearly in children. Johnny, you must apologize to Susie. But, says Johnny, she hit me first. This may be legitimate. This may not be legitimate. But you see the point. Johnny wants to be on an equal footing with Susie. What I encourage you to do is first focus on what you did wrong. 
Again, the recalibration is important. Do you love that person as yourself? Do you see that person as a child of God? Do you choose to follow Jesus in in being a servant without the desire to dominate that other person? Do you respect their Christian freedom, we might say? Love covers a multitude of sins. That truth encourages us that if we can, and if we're doing it for the sake of one another, that we do choose to forget the sins others have committed against us. Now, I'm not talking about the big sins, the ones that continue to bother us, even high-handed sins against us that were intentional and malicious, and especially those sins that are leading our brother to destruction. These sins need to be dealt with through the process of reconciliation. That brings me to my third point, seeking reconciliation. When we love one another earnestly, part of that covering of one another's sins will be the work of reconciliation. When there is brokenness, seeking to build bridges through the process of recognizing our own sins and exhorting one another in love to recognize their own sin is the way forward. That takes time, often takes time and patience. On the one hand, knowing the call to love one another earnestly, we should seek to mend broken relationships as soon as possible. This is first of all through recognizing our own failures in relationships. We reach out to one another to ensure that we have not caused harm or conflict. And this way we can proactively preserve relationships. On the other hand, if our relationship is really broken, we need patience in restoring that. Ideally, the process of repentance and forgiveness would happen quickly. And if we're living out our lives with thanksgiving and generosity, this will happen for many of our relationships. But if a relationship is deeply broken, we must be patient in order for that brokenness to be overcome. Remember how God is patient in restoring relationship with you, how you break covenant every week. Here especially, we rely on the love of Christ that covered a multitude of sins. Not just in the sense that he is able to overlook those sins, but in that he has removed those sins from me as far as east from west. It's because he's removed those sins from me and my neighbor that I am able to overlook my neighbor's sins. I don't think that would be really possible that overlooking without Christ. Only he can mend our relationship with one another. Here especially, we rely on the Spirit who assures me of this salvation and allows me... Sorry. (laughs) Here especially, we rely on the Spirit. He assures me of this salvation, that I belong to Christ, that my sins are gone. And allows me to hope for true reconciliation, just as I have been reconciled with God. Here especially, we trust that our Father is guiding and leading me in this process. Beloved in the Lord, this has been a year of restlessness, fear, and anxiety. It's been a year of questions. What's God doing in all this? Let's continue to invest in one another. Ultimately, because 
I know that Jesus has loved me in a way that is beyond my imagination and shown me a hospitality that I cannot repay. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.